0: Some of those pictures, it's like, last time I saw you was 40 pounds ago. <laughs> um, wow. You know, uh, I, I'm going to need a lot of these today. Uh, actually, I remember one time, uh, I don't know, it was the middle of the service, and I, I kind of lost it, and Ed Vandermulen handed me his hanky And I'm like, is that thing already been used? I don't even, I won't borrow a toothbrush or a hanky, but I appreciated the gesture. (laughs) You know, when people ask me how LifeSpring's doing after you left, my answer is usually the same. Disappointingly well. Um, I just, I want to, a lot of you, talked about me a bit, and I, my wife, we just, Avon. we celebrated 34 years marriage this year. Um, and she's, as you know, just the rock of our family. She was the quiet hand that seemed to guide Lifespring in its early years, kept me from cracking up, um, and uh, we always wondered, would anybody show up on Sunday? And I think I wondered that for a couple of years until I went, "Hey, maybe this is going to work. Um, maybe there's something going on here." A uh, little catch up on our family. Uh, Karen Herbertson, my mother-in-law, Yvonne's mom, uh, has uh, wanted to send her thanks and her gratitude and, and her wishes to you. Uh, as you know, uh, her husband John uh, passed last October and moved in with us. She's she's now with us and. Uh, she just wasn't able to make the trip, but she wanted to, she wanted to be remembered to you guys. Um, we're up to four grandkids now. Hallelujah. We're praying for more. I think God is telling me to learn how to be content, and I'm not with that. But um, uh, right now, I am a hospice chaplain and uh, get to uh, be with people in the last moments of their life. Avon uh, is a registered nurse. And she works at Prestige, a uh, uh, skilled nursing facility in the town that we live. And she, by the way, I get to see some of her, her patients. So I get to pray with her patients. And they always tell me that she's their favorite nurse. It's is not a surprise. There was some illusion today about how LifeSpring started 20 years ago. Um, just as you know, LifeSpring really didn't start 20 years ago. The church itself started thousands of years ago and we're just a little drop in that amazing river that the Lord started. But it started when Pastor Steve Shell at Northwest Church started casting vision for church planting and <clears throat> they asked me if I was interested and <clears throat> long story <clears throat> shorter I'm going to need that, I think. Thank you. It's going to be one of those days. Um We, we, we went camping. We took some cassette tapes. Remember, those of you who are over 50, you know what cassette tapes are. And we had this series of advanced church planting, and we took these, and that's all we did all weekend is we just listened to these tapes. And we, we came back, I wouldn't say so much with a vision of church planting as much as a sort of a, an excitement about something that God might want to do it through us. And that was really just sort of the beginning of it. Um, we began to build a team uh, just, just Pastor Steve gave me an unlimited fishing license and gave us a year to plan and and we had an evening service at Northwest Church I think it was Sunday nights where we practiced doing church. Um, I remember practicing doing communion one of the first times, and I remember getting this weird face from the front row I think it was Avon or one of the other ladies i don 't know and I was like they were like gesturing to me like, what's wrong? Turns out my fly was open. So my first time doing communion was, well, and just truth be told, every time I get up to preach, it's like, I get, you know, I do one of these. There's things you didn't, they don't teach you in seminary. Life Springs first service was uh, September 16th, 2001, in the community center uh, in Fife. And you all remember what happened five days prior. What was weird about that is I had a year to plan a sermon, and it was going to be amazing. And on September 11th, the Lord said you had to throw that away because something else is happening, and Life Spring is planting in the moment of crisis. With hurting people. Five locations in 20 years Fife Community Center, Hebron Christian uh, in Fife, Discovery Elementary, North Hill Adventist Church, and Integrity Life. Uh, I think on our website, we ought to say um, our new motto is Life Spring. We're a great church if you can find us. Twenty years ago, a small team got together and we started asking God what kind of a church we should be. Who is God calling us to reach? Who's gonna lead worship? <laughs> Who's gonna teach kids ministry? All these questions. But the most important question was why do you want to plant a church? Why? Oh, my team nuts with that question. Because here's the thing. The question why is very important to me. and I think it's very important to the Lord because there's lots of things a church can do. But we have to ask ourselves a question, are we doing what God wants done? Normally a message about the purpose of the church is kind of what I'm talking about today. Normally a message like that would come from the New Testament. Normally. But as you know, I'm not very normal. And they all said, Amen. Um, So I'm going to go to the Old Testament. You see, when the New Testament gives us a lesson, the Old Testament gives us a picture, an illustration. And I want to invite you to take a look at a very unusual decision that King David made, and let's ask that question, why? So if you have a Bible, if you're listening online or watching online, maybe you're there in your living room or whatever, you can open your Bible and open to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 9. The context of this passage is it's just after King Saul was killed in battle. David has emerged victorious. David is no longer just the anointed king of Israel. He is now the fully established king of the nation. So the question is, how would he use this great power? And we pick up this story in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1 to 13. David asked this question, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, there was a servant of Saul's household name, Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there still no one alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness, uh, God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still son of, a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? the king asked. Ziba answered, he's at the house of Mekir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Mekir, son of Amiel. And when Mephibosheth, okay, everybody, we've got to say this together. When Mephibosheth, can you say, one, two, got to say his name, ready? One, two, three. You have to be careful how you say it, because it sounds like you are swearing if you don't say it right. By the way, I was handed this going out? Okay. I mean, I can only use one hand. Is this it? There we go. Now, where was I? (laughs) Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, and he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belongs to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth uh, bowed down, and he said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? And I'm just going to skip here to the end here, verse 13. It says, and Mephibosheth Phibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. There is more information, generally speaking, in the Bible about King David than probably any other figure. The New Testament reminds us, though, that Jesus is the son of David and the rightful heir to his throne. And when we look at King David's life, we get a glimpse into the character of the ultimate king, that is King Jesus. And on the surface, when we look at this story, it looks like a heartwarming story about a very powerful king extending kindness to a disabled man from a rival tribe. But if we dig a little deeper and we ask some questions, I think there's some nuggets of truth for us, LifeSpring, and for our next 20 years. How did Mephibosheth find his way to King David's table? How did David reach him? You know, he didn't send a letter. He didn't post something on Facebook. He didn't even send an invitation. He sent someone. Someone accepted the role, the king's ambassador, em- to this Mephibosheth. He obeyed the king. He went searching for this guy. And he brought him to the king. Reminds me of what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. He said, we we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. And as Christ's ambassadors, the church's message to the world is essentially the same, that the king loves you, and that you'll never be the same when you finally meet Him. Which is really the big idea that I want to talk about. You see, God's church shares God's love because God's love transforms lives. God's love. I mean, think about what we do at church. Why do we teach the Bible? Because we want people to understand the significance of God's love. Why do we worship? We're celebrating God's love. Why do we reach out to our community? Because we want other people to experience God's love. But remember this, the church is about sharing God's love, not love in general. It's important that we understand this because how does God love us? Who does God love? And how does that love transform people? And and what are we going to do about this? Here's how God's love. Uh, this is how God loves. This is, this is what He does. Uh, think about what David asked. He said, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Kindness. The English word there is actually kind of weak. It's like, you know, you're receiving flowers, you've been sick in the hospital, and someone sends you flowers, and you say, wow, that was awfully kind of you. While I look at these flowers dying and wilting, I'll think of you in our relationship. <laughs> that was very kind of you. The, the word, though, in Hebrew is, is chesed. It's often translated loving. It's commitment faithfulness and commitment. Covenant love. Are we losing this mic too? Is that better? I'm messing it. Great. We didn't have all this fancy technology, you know. I'm trying to learn it. But covenant love is what God, how God loves, and it's, it's marked by faithfulness and commitment. And David's covenant love for Mephibosheth points to the covenant love of our ultimate king, that is King Jesus, who loves us with a covenant-style love. See, the culture, our culture talks about love all the time. We see it in Facebook, right? But the culture talks about a very shallow kind of love that preaches and includes more shallow things like, you know, tolerance and inclusion and acceptance, which are good things. Don't get me wrong. But the church is tasked with sharing a much deeper kind of love that's marked by commitment, loyalty, sacrifice. And Tim Keller, in his work on the life of David, I just love it, here he, he, he reminds us that Covenant love is contrasted with what in the culture has is is a consumer-driven love. See, that's what our culture knows. It's transactional love that says, you know, I'm going to be in a relationship with you as long as you meet my needs. Last spring, um, I called a company to come and spray my yard for bugs. Mostly I wanted them to destroy forever and eternity, the, the yellow jackets that were plaguing my house, I hate them with a passion. There's some reasons for that. Let's just say I have issues with yellow jackets. And uh, they didn't show up when they said they would. And I called them, and then, okay, well, they, they said we'll come out again. Well, then when they came out, they didn't do the job that they had said they would do, and then they sent me a bill for a job that they didn't do. And I ended our business relationship. And I might add that the uh, Yellow Jackets were (laughs) really bad this year. Um, But you see, we approach most of our relationships, almost all relationships this way. I'm thinking of a 92-year-old man who was laid dying recently. And although this sweet old man, there in his neighborhood are multiple family members. Close, like, A daughter, a son, just a few blocks away, but not one of them would look after him. Not one of them. It's too inconvenient. So this elderly man had to hire people to care for him because there were no covenant-loving relationship family members that would come and, and look for him. We approach romantic relationships this way. We say, I will love you as long as you meet my needs. Oh, I know we don't say it that way, but you know what we do? We end it that way, don't we? We treat church relationships the same way. I'll be part of this church as long as you meet my needs. Consumer love says, I will sacrifice the relationship to meet my needs. Covenant love is different says, I will sacrifice my needs for our relationship. I'll limit my, myself for your benefit. I'll serve you even when I'm getting nothing out of it. In fact, even when it starts to cost me money, time, opportunities. I'm reminded of all the people who helped us start LifeSpring and what it costs them in time, talent, and treasure, and sweat. Jesus said in John 13, 34, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So how are we to love? He says, as I have loved you. How has he loved us? With covenant love. Sacrificial, life-giving love. Love. See, covenant love is the same kind of love that David showed Mephibosheth. That also drove King Jesus to the cross, essentially saying, I'm sacrificing my needs and my life so that you can have a covenant love relationship with the God of the universe. In marriage, covenant love doesn't just keep your marriage alive. It transforms two imperfect people into a dynamic duo. You're seeing two of the most dynamic right here. And Dan and Mary, thank you guys. When parents have covenant love for their kids, they they raise emotionally healthy children who don't have to achieve some level of standard of performance to feel loved. When churches have covenant love for each other, they commit... And follow through. Kent Ross, hallelujah. They give sacrificially, time, talents, treasure. They limit their needs for the needs of others. And they treat people royalty and welcome them into the family. Covenant love is how God loves. But who does he love? What are the kind of people like that God loves? What kind of people does he like? What kind of people does he love? You know what? He, likes, he loves people like Mephibosheth. Who's Mephibosheth? Well, before the text even mentions his name, we're told that he was, and it's not very politically correct in the NIV, it says he was lame in both feet. Essentially, he was disabled. And how did he get this way? At age five, assassins were searching for Saul's sons and grandsons, and in an attempt to protect this child, it says in Second Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, that this, his nurse picked him up and fled. And as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. Despite her good intentions, she dropped him, damaged him. In one act of carelessness, he was permanently disfigured, his life forever altered, his prospects forever diminished, it seemed, all because she dropped him. And hear me, please. Hear me, please. We've all been dropped, we've all been damaged in some way. Maybe by the mistakes and the foolishness of other people we trusted. Maybe it was by your own pastor. I know that there was so much celebration today, but there was also conflict. Sometimes we're damaged by our own mistakes and our own foolishness. Just to encourage one another right now, just turn to the person next to you and just say, you're damaged goods. I'm not saying that. We can't say that. (laughs) Well, that's the bad news, but there's some incredibly good news because if you've been damaged by an affair or divorce, God loves you. If you've been damaged by a terrible loss, God loves you. And if you've been damaged by abuse, God loves you. If you've been damaged by your own addiction, God loves you. He does, absolutely. And if you've been damaged by a trauma or an accident, God loves you. Oh, He loves you. Okay, so He loves me. I mean, you know, that's a Hallmark card. What's the big deal? Well, it's a huge deal. See, God's love isn't the kind of love that puts a Band-Aid on a boo-boo. It's the kind of love that transforms and transcends So that's why we need God's love. It's God's love that causes us to church plant. It's God's love that causes us to reach out. It's God's love that sends a a congregation to Frederickson. Hallelujah. Church plants plant churches. And this is why we need not just any old kind of love, but we need God's covenant love because God's covenant love transforms damaged people like, like you and like me. But there's something else. Notice that Mephibosheth is the lone survivor of David's mortal enemy. And as long as Mephibosheth is alive, there's a potential rival to David's throne. He's from a rival tribe, and in that culture, to to show kindness, to love Mephibosheth is to love your enemy. This is the hardest part of the gospel, but it is the most powerful And I see a powerful comparison to Jesus in the church here, because King Jesus teaches us to put away our tribal differences and to love our enemies. In America today, we have a radical, rampant tribalism Republican versus Democrat, vaxxers versus anti-vaxxers, mask wearers versus non-mask wearers, blue lives and black lives, immigrants versus citizen, wealthy versus poor. You name it, there's a category for it. But the Lord is calling His church to break through tribal barriers. Amen? Amen? But how do you do that? Well, one of the ways, you're in in an African-American church building building relationships that would not have happened except for two pastors talking to each other and their tribes breaking down the barriers and God smiles that's how you do it but you don't do it by just trying to do it i don't th- i don't think dan one day came up pastor dan came up one day and said hey i just want to try to do something good no, something had to happen, and I know it's happened in his heart, in your heart, in everyone's heart who does this. See, we need to experience what Mephibosheth experienced to be transformed by God's covenant love ourselves. And that begins when you realize that you too were actually God's enemy as well. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 5, verse 10. He says, while we were God's enemies... We were reconciled through Him, through the death of His Son, that is through Jesus Christ. And you say, wait a minute, how am I God's enemy? I pray to God. I've searched for God. Maybe, yes. But in reality, most people search for a God that they can control, not the God of the Bible hear me please the God of the Bible is a benevolent dictator demanding total surrender of my will to his you know what that is that is anti-american but it's actually transforming when we when we catch this so we are hostile to God because we want to remain con- and control And our hostility really takes two basic forms. There's the religious kind and the non-religious kind. You see, the religious kind, religious people love the rules. We love the idea of a holy God because if we can keep the rules, then we can, we think, well, if I keep the rules, if I do good, I can get God to be good to me. And so religious people try to attempt uh, to control God by keeping the rules. But the non-religious... Try to take control by breaking the rules, or saying there are no rules, or I make the rules. I want to believe in a God who, uh, you know, accepts me just the way that I am, no matter how I live. There's the spark of the divine in everyone. See, all of this is about control. But the religious and the non-religious have this in common: they don't want the God of the Bible, but a God of their own making, a God that they can control we've all been there. Amen? And we struggle to go back there, don't we? Every day, there's this fight for control. Mephibosheth didn't want anything to do with King David, who ruled from Israel, or ruled from from Jerusalem. How do you think Mephibosheth felt when the king's men showed up at his door? He'd have been terrified. In fact, David's almost his first words are Mephibosheth, don't be afraid. Why? Because he had to be terrified. Surely they were there to arrest him. He's the only surviving male heir of Saul's kingdom. He didn't seek out King David. King David sought him, David pursued him. He didn't come to the king. The king's men brought him, compelled him to come to the king, almost like he was arrested. Maybe we should try that on Sunday mornings. Go out and arrest people. Bring them to church. You know, there's only so much you can do with biblical application. (laughs) And in the presence, though, of King David, he expected execution, not reconciliation. Hear me, please. You didn't find King Jesus. He found you. He said, John in John 6, chapter uh, verse 44, he said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And when he comes after control freaks like you and me, what does he find? Well, like Mephibosheth, we're terrified that we're going to lose something. Mephibosheth probably thought he was going to lose his life. First, You know, I remember lots of people coming to faith in Christ, and many of you, maybe when you came to faith in Christ, you say, you know, if I become a Christian, well, I have to give up something. Will I have to give up my boyfriend or my girlfriend, my future plans, my career, my money. Will I have to just whatever. Because there's this fear that if I surrender my will completely to God, I'm going to lose. Because if this God that you're talking about demands my total submission, I'm going to be miserable. Honestly, think of it this way. This would be like Mephibosheth saying, "Uh, David... um, Thanks for the offer, but uh, no thanks. Um, I'd rather live like a beggar in exile than a prince in your kingdom. This is the kind of decision that we are confronted with when we are talking to Mephibosheths in the world who think like that and they don't know what you're offering. What actually happened when Mephibosheth bowed in submission to the king? David said, Don't be afraid. For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore you to all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul and you will always eat at my table. We think if I submit to the king, I'm going to lose. Mephibosheth won the lottery. And David, what is he promising to Mephibosheth? It's not that I'm just going to let you live. No, he says, but I am going to Make sure that you live in splendor. That not you're not just gonna live Mephibosheth, you're gonna thrive. This is how God transforms lives. When I bow in submission to the king, when I receive God's covenant love, I'm restored and I'm adopted. No longer hiding out in fear because in the king's house I have access to the king's resources. And He's ridiculously generous to me. And because He's ridiculously generous to me, I can be ridiculously generous to others. I have every resource I need to be set free from anything that has damaged me. I'm restored. Now, it may be take a lifetime to walk that out in principle, but it's true now and in the eternal perspective as we walk in that which God has given us. I'm adopted. I'm the King's son. See, when David was coming to Mephibosheth, he wasn't saying, "Hey, why don't you just sort of hang out there, and we'll be in here," because you're a second-class citizen. No, no, he says, "Come sit at my table like one of the family," because, well, Mephibosheth, you are. He's been adopted into the family, fellowship at the, king, at the king's table with the king's family, life'spring. This room is filled with adopted sons. And we are privileged and blessed to do that. And every day, our people that we meet, we meet, Mephoshes. They don't know it yet. But there's a seat at the, king, the king's table for them. If one of his... When we were planting the church before we planted, our team uh, wrote, uh, we, we put... Uh, Butcher paper, butcher paper, two big pieces of butcher paper on a wall. And we drew stick figures, a, a man and a woman. And we called them Linus Lucy Lifespring. In our life, identify, identify who they are. And we put down a little character traits and we... We, we we started looking these kind of people people as they came in. Because we were looking, we had taken this seriously our role our role as ambas- ambassadors. Imagine when, when Mephibosheth showed up at the king's table the first time. I'm guessing there was probably at the table already table already, and I, and I would imagine one or two of them might have grumbled and said, what's this crippled Benjamite doing here? I am so thankful that that attitude is not in this church. And it's, the reason in this church is because you, you contend. But it can seep in if we're not careful. How will you respond when Mephibosheth shows up? And remember, in the church, because we're all adopted. adopted. We're all adopted. Because I forget that. I don't think Mephibosheth could ever forget did for him. You know why? Because, you know why? Because David told him why he was doing it. Because, hey, Mephibosheth, you're, the- hey, Mephibosheth, you're this. No. He says, I will surely show you kindness, verse 7. Your father, Jonathan. Father, Jonathan. If you catch nothing today, I hope you catch what I'm about to say. There's a backstory here. You see, David and Jonathan were best friends. But Jonathan's father was King Saul. whom Samuel had anointed to be the next king after Saul. And Jonathan, the rightful heir to his father's throne, though he could see how his anointing rested on David. This is what Jonathan did for, Jonathan did for David. I'm going now to the backstool 18, 18. It says, Jonathan made, made a covenant with David. Covenant with David. Made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off his robe that he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. What is Jonathan doing in that moment? Jonathan was heir to his father's throne. And by giving his robe, his tunic, sword, Jonathan disarmed himself and voluntarily gave up his throne David could have he And hear me please. Morning. David had a friend like that. And so and so do you. In friend who gave up his heaven, who gave up his heavenly. He was cut off. He was cut off. He gave up his rights so that you and I could be right with God forever and eternity. This is, this is good news. Amen? This is the message of the church. The heart of life spring. this is reaching out to a community, this is reaching out to Mephibosheth who need to hear, hear this. And, 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 and they have all these defenses that are set up, up. But keep it up. Because here's the transformational moment. God has has done for them because he's not he may be a a benevolent dictator ruling from heaven but he is not a tyrant he doesn't demand Mephibosheth to follow him King David doesn't his heart broken because of the love he understood that David had for his father and now for him what do we do about this is to receive God's covenant love through Jesus Christ. I know you've heard about life spring 20 years and all that. Maybe this, you've only been here 20 minutes. Well, this is, this is a place place of loving people who are going to receive you. And you haven't received Christ yet. That, that's okay. Maybe today's the day. And you can just bow the knee. Literally or metaphorically, if you've got bad knees, you can receive God's covenant love through Jesus Christ. you know what else you can do? Lifespring, you can join the search party. Many of you already have. All of you are the, rever- re- the result of another search party, by the way. Because we didn't come to Christ on our own. Eh? Somebody told us about Jesus. And then finally, and then finally just welcome adopted brothers and, brothers and sisters at the king's table. They may come from a different tribe, they may not have different values, they may values, they may vote differently. But remember th- remember this, Jesus took a risk to love th- them. He took a risk to love you. So you can take a risk to love them. Essentially, essentially, David said, I'm loving you because of what Jonathan because of what Jonathan did for me. Because Jesus loves us, and there's a Bob next door, Bisheth next door, next door. a Bob, Bob in the store that you're going to meet. Maybe she's a Bobby or a Roberta. Who's the? Ch- Maybe she's your boss. But do you see? them do you see them? Are you Are you looking for them? LifeSpring, you're on a mission that started thousands ago, not twenty, not twenty. Millions of Christians, millions of Christians worldwide, and to love people with Christ, Christ's covenant love—that's what, that's what we're called, called to do. Because His covenant love change, changes lives; He's changed yours. Amen. Mephibosheth, and I want to invite you to the. Communion as a church, church, we're coming to the King's table. Our King Jesus, on the night He traded, He took bread and bread, and He broke it to His disciples, and He said, "This is My body for you." He said, "This is My blood shed for you." He was saying to saying to them in that moment, "I'm giving up My life for yours. Yours. I am saying life, life for yours." And he has invited us as a church, whenever to remember, remember his sacrifice and a king's table. and if, And if this is the first time you're receiving communion, uh, and if this is something you're filled with, this this is great. This is another opportunity for you to continue to go deeper with Jesus. While the worship team is playing. And I want to let you know there's two cups together in the bottom. In the bottom is uh, just some private time, or you, or you could take it back to your seat with your family. Uh, You can come and grab elements and feel free to just kneel here, like like Mephibosh, kneeling to the. Maybe it's time to recommit your heart to the Lord. Maybe you've been away, away from church for a long time. It's time to take a risk again. Guys, if you want to, if you want to come, this, you're not being being forced to. Something that you can do. Something that you can do. Time, time. We say, yes, I'm coming.